This is a sermon podcast of the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcboulogne.org. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to talk to you today about what it means to be brought with a price. Uh, to be bought with a price. I don't know of anything <clears throat> that has ever really come natural to me. Uh, in school, um, you know, the only thing I was really ever good at, probably naturally, was mischief. But anything profitable had to be taught to me because left to my own devices, I would not be good at English or mathematics or science. It took a teacher and more often than not a very patient teacher to work with me. So why in the world do we expect us as believers to just naturally gravitate toward holiness? If there is no one to teach us, if there is no uh, 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 discipleship in place, if, if we just came here to hear only the good stuff preached to us, and I've had that criticism before, you know, pastor, you just, you know, you need to tell us how, how good we've got it. You need to tell us, um, you know, how blessed we are. Well, I'll get to that eventually, but you know, the Bible is, is a book that tells us how to draw more and more into Christ likeness, um, not to always make us necessarily feel good. And such was the church at Corinth. They, you know, they had received the gospel. They knew Jesus. But it seemed like from the introduction of the cross up until now, for whatever reason you want to call it, the church just got divided over many things. And one of the divisions that came was the division of who was just leading them. And that's how the book started. Paul addressed the divisions first. And he reminded them that, you know, I, Paul, Apollos, or Peter, or no one else that has come to serve for you ever died for your sins. They didn't redeem you. So why are you picking and choosing? It's one of the most relevant passages I know of in the scriptures regarding today's church. We have become so nitpicky over irrelevant matters. And that was just where he started. And, and we talked about last week, we talked about lawsuits among believers. That was last Sunday night. That had a lot to do with church conflict, which was the, the, the topic of last week. And then b- b- before that, we talked about immorality and discipline within the church The point being is that we see a church before us of sinners saved by grace. First of all, Paul did call them saints. Okay, that the series of this of these sermons is called saints together. That's what we are. Those of us who've been born again, we are saints. 
But following and growing in Jesus will not naturally happen unless we work at it. And unless we are taught how to. And this morning, in our sermon, and in this text, Paul is going to give them one of the big theological reminders about who they are in Christ Jesus. They and you have been bought with a price. And I hope that when you walk out of here, by the time that we are done, I hope that you will see yourself differently. You will see this church differently. And that your life has changed as a result. But I can't make that happen. I can only give you God's word. And I beg and pray that the Holy Spirit will do the work in your life and in my life that needs to be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 beginning in verse 12. Let me read the paragraph to you and then we're going to highlight some things that this text will teach us. Let's stand together and honor the reading of God's word. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know? That phrase is going to be uttered ten times throughout this letter. And this is not the first time we've heard this phrase. Do you not know? Meaning you should already know this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So therefore glorify God in your body. Let us pray together. Lord, this was a culture filled with appetites and unbridled pursuit of just fleshly fulfillment. God, this church had to learn restraint and so too we must learn restraint. God, we must learn that we can't do as we please. Not if we are joined to you. Things may be lawful for us in terms of American law. But Lord, what America approves, Lord, you don't necessarily approve. Your law comes first in our life, or at least it should. Father, I pray that this text will help to remind us that our bodies are included in redemption. That... Christian identity is inseparable from the Christian lifestyle. Theology impacts our ethics. Help us, Lord, to know the importance and to live what it means to be bought with a price. Father, may you bless the reading of your word in this sermon as it is declared. In Jesus' name that we pray. Everyone said.
Amen. You can be seated. Let me give you some things of what it means to be bought with a price. I'll explain the text as we go through, but to be bought with a price means certain things. First thing that it means to us is that desires can and will enslave. What desires? You mean, you mean desire for smoking or drinking, right, Pastor? No. Every and any desire can and will enslave you. Any desire. Anything we set our minds to apart from Jesus can eventually be the walls and the bars of our own prisons. Look at how Paul begins this text. He begins in verse, thir- or verse 12 with two statements that were being told throughout Corinth and also in the church. One statement was, all things were lawful for me. In your scriptures, you may have this phrase in quotation marks. And then another in quotation mark statement was, all things are lawful for me. These were not quotations of a biblical passage. Paul was quoting to them their own words. Paul was telling the church, this is what you're saying among yourselves. You are saying that all things are lawful for me. You're saying that, well, you know, because of where I live and my culture, well, it's legal. It's right. I can do it. All things are lawful for me. Paul says in the latter part of that verse, well, I am not going to be enslaved by anything. There can be no question that these were the the mottos, but modern day mottos that you could hold or I could hold that would be likewise to the Corinthian churches. Well, don't tell me what I can and cannot do. I don't care what you think or this is a free country. As a follower of Christ. Your definition of freedom and my definition begins and ends with Christ, not the country we live in. What is allowed by law does not entitle you to participate. Just because it is legal on the books does not mean it is wise for us or morally ethical for us. To participate. And the church at Corinth said, well, I have been set free. They didn't understand the freedom uh, that, that Christ was giving to them. Well, I've been set free. That means I can do anything that I want, right? Well, you can. You have a mind. It makes decisions. You have a mind, and I do, that thinks from time to time, critically. Yes, there's a lot of things that we could do because... It's on the books. We, we can do it. But Paul says just because you can do it does not mean it is the right and wise thing for you to do. In other words, those desires can enslave you and actually be the things that you serve because you enjoy those freedoms way too much. Even desires for good things. Lest we forget that before we get to 1 Corinthians in our New Testaments, we go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And all throughout the Gospels, we've been introduced and we are reminded of what the Pharisees were doing, did we not? What did they have a desire for? Oh, they had a desire for godliness way up here. Way up here. I mean, they, they had godliness, but they wanted to legislate it to everyone. And even desires for those good things made folks who were at one time, I'm sure, were great people. 
but it turned them into Pharisees. Because they decided that, well, what laws I create, I'm going to expect you to follow. In other words, if you're going to be right with God, you've got to be right according to my standard of ethics and my standard of morals. You see, desires can be wide ranging. They can be desires for alcohol, tobacco, pornography, illicit sex, anything, you know, all the morally bad stuff. Yes, but sometimes those desires can cross a whole gamut of decisions and wants, even to things that aren't necessarily tied to morality and even sometimes good things. That's why we need to consider verse 13. He says, listen, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for what? The body. He says, the body is meant for us to eat. Right? We take in nutrition. But one day God's going to destroy that too. Sometimes our desires may be about food. Our our, our desires can be over things that are not necessarily immoral, but they can enslave us. In other words, smoking pot, smoking tobacco, alcoholism, drugs... Those things can destroy the body, but let's just be real and be honest. So can cholesterol and so can fat and fried stuff and yeah. And if my body is a temple, if the Holy Spirit dwells within me, shouldn't I be mindful about everything that I'm allowing into this body that is a temple? According to our text, it ought to be. Even the desires for good things. It was affecting this church. Paul says, yeah, you know, because of Christ, you have Christian liberty. But although it may be allowed, it doesn't always mean that it's wise. Why is that? If you look at verse 13 again, he says our our purpose changes. He says, God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexuality or uh, sexual immorality. The body is for the Lord. Because you have accepted Jesus Christ, he has redeemed you not only from sin and cleansed your heart and all that, but now your whole body serves for a different purpose. In other words, there is a theology for our physical bodies. That because I am redeemed, he is, he's redeemed all of me and all of me is now for all of him. And that type of freedom automatically imposes certain limitations to quote-unquote freedoms that would actually serve to enslave me. You see, we now live for Jesus. He doesn't live for us. You know, He died for us. He died for me so that I could live for Him. That is our reasonable response to, to Christ. That's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 that we make ourselves a living sacrifice. We continually die to ourselves so that we can live for Him. And that ought to be part of our prayer life. Rather than treating God like some holy concierge, we're always asking something from Him. Maybe that what we ought to concentrate our prayers on is, God, here I am. Here I am. Use me. Here I am. You take me as I am. Father, help me to live as I should live. 
And if we live for him, then we must control our appetites and desires. Forget chemical dependence. Our slavery may very well begin with a want. Our bodies are under a moral responsibility. It can enslave us. As a matter of fact, if you look at the, 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 the book of James, uh, you don't have to, to turn there. I, I'm just going to read a, a, a very quick text to you in, in the book of James. I, I know how we talk about, well, the devil's getting after me. The devil's this, the devil's whatever, blah, blah, blah. But, but sometimes we can't blame the devil in our hardships. We need to be blaming ourselves. Why is that? Verse, uh, James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, uh, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sometimes it ain't the devil, it's you getting after your own self. Paul says, and, and that's, what, that's what Paul is teaching to this Corinthian church. Guys, Christ has set you free so that you can live. Every fiber of your being now needs to be directed to be living to him. Some things you've got to leave behind because it will enslave you again. That's what you were, were redeemed from. Why would you want to regress back to those lifestyles? I said before, uh, and, and I think it's a good statement, anything that you have to say you have to have already has you. Your desire can be the walls and bars of that prison that can prevent you from glorifying the Lord, which is, of course, our primary and first duty as a disciple. Need, need I remind you of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Verse 31 of the same chapter. So whether we eat or drink, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. Your very breath and your lungs, the energy you have to stand up at the end of this sermon and walk out of this church, everything that you do is for the glory of God. That's why it was intended. When you were radically saved, I pray that you just didn't accept Christ just to get your ticket to heaven. I can probably assure you that that type of thinking is not salvation. I accepted Christ because I wanted freedom. For my sin, I wanted out of the bondage and captivity of what I was born into. I had inherited and so did you Adam's sin. It was the curse and the stain of sin. Nothing I could do could have alleviated that problem. It only took the propitiation. I read that word to you this morning. It means that what Jesus did on the cross, it was the propitiation for my sins. It was the only thing that could release sin's grip on me. It was the only thing. And because he died for me, I will live for him. Every minute of every day. Years ago, billionaire Howard Hughes. I don't know what you know about him. I think he's one of the most intriguing characters of the 20th century. I've read books about him and kind of studied about his life. And what an amazing mind. He was crazy, yes, but he had an amazing mind. A lot of the things that he invented, you use day to day. 
But two things he was mainly noted for was his contribution to aviation and also the movie industry back in the uh, pre-World War II uh, era. Well, he uh, uh, eventually came to own substantial properties in Las Vegas, Nevada. And when he passed away in, I believe it was in 1977, uh, part of the, the, the people that were closest to him and who were uh, uh, overseeing these casinos said, well, to, to show him respect, we want to, all of our casinos, we want to give them a minute of silence. We're going to give Howard Hughes a minute of silence. And can you imagine for that one strange, brief minute, all of the casinos fell deadly silent. In one particular casino, there was a pit boss who was keeping tabs on his watch. And at the stroke of 60 seconds, he leaned over and whispered, okay, roll the dice. He's had his minute. I sometimes wonder if we treat God as those gamblers in Las Vegas treated the memory of Hughes. We will interrupt our busy schedules once a week. We'll rush into church for 1045. We'll give God his hour. And then forget about him and get back to what we'd rather be doing. That was the lifestyle of the Corinthians. You're not doing God a favor just by showing up. It's not something you mark on your little checklist. Part of the very lifeblood of my identity with Christ is my affiliation with the body of Christ. And when I am summoned and called to worship corporately, I show up. Because it is part of my identity. It is not something I tack on to a schedule. Church attendance and my corporate worship, us gathering here, it is not something to say, well, I've done my deed for the week. I'm going to go off and spend the rest of the day as I see fit. Do not let your desires be the pit boss who tells you how to worship. Number two, what does it mean to be bought with a price? Well, it means that Christ is involved in everything I do. That means everything that's going on in my life, if I'm following him and I am a disciple of Christ, I bring Jesus into everything that I do, both good and bad. Notice the danger that Paul looks to of the enslavement of desires. Verse 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? As it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who's joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Now, if you had an intimate knowledge, and, and, and I think you've got a really good working knowledge of the Corinthian church, as, as I've been preaching through this thus far, you will know that a good portion of this church in Corinth was filled with former prostitutes and the men who used to go into them. Paul was not making things up as he was just going along. 
The Holy Spirit inspired him to use this particular analogy because it would have rested a little bit differently upon this congregation. Let me break it down for you. This analogy would have rattled them upon hearing the words read from this letter. Because in the midst of the congregation sat some ladies over here. There were some scattered over here, some on this side and some on the other side. Who had spent part of their life selling their bodies. They would have known all too well the grief and agony of having to pay for acceptance. They remember the pain. They, re- they remember what it meant being holed up in that brothel. And men coming, as often as there was money to give, the pimps, the men would come. But when they heard the gospel message, something, something happened within their hearts and they realized they didn't have to live this way any longer. They, they, they learned that, that they could be forgiven. They, they learned that they could be whole again. They learned that Jesus cleanses and forgives. And then those men... For whatever reason, and they were handing over the money, and they were going in to these ladies and having their way. Could you imagine being in that church and being one of those people, the girls or the guys, and experiencing the freedom that only the gospel could have been providing? And now here they sit. Taking that freedom, and, and part of me is very sympathetic to this situation, meaning that I don't think they really intended to abuse the freedom that they had, but it was happening nonetheless. Paul says, listen, would you, would you want Jesus to join with you back in that old lifestyle? Ladies, could you imagine yourself back in that brothel? Would you want Jesus there? Men, could you imagine walking those streets and finding that woman and going to that little room? Would you want Jesus in there with you? Because I'm here to remind you that your bodies are members of Christ. So when you walk out of here today, you're not leaving anything, church. Jesus is with you. As uh, you are, he is a member According to this text, shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Do you really want to involve Christ in the things that you're doing? Do you want him around 24-7? The language that you're seeing, the words that you're saying, your actions, your attitudes, When you take that extra drink, when you go to that website, Jesus is involved. 
When you say those words harmful to someone else, when you're gossiping. Is that is that really how you want to enjoy your liberty? Is that really how you want to enjoy what Christ has done in your life? Is that how you really choose to show him your gratitude? It's more than just spiritual. Because finally, in the closing verses of our text, we learn that our bodies actually belong to God. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. There's been a lot of debate about the meaning of this verse and the intent of what Paul was trying to get at in this verse. And uh, um, I'm not saying I know it better than the theologians, but I I will say this. There is a guilt. There is are are just added features to sexual sin that you don't have with other types of sin. They tend to stay with you longer. They tend to invade themselves into a healthy marriage. They, They tend to stir up and to create some trouble at times. There's just something about sexual sins that is very different from other things. That's just what I know. I believe what Paul is getting at here is, you know, other sins that don't involve the flesh as much. They don't seem to carry the baggage. But as I talk with folks in the counseling office, everywhere I've ever been, I have noticed that people have struggled with sexuality and sexual sins more than other types of sins. Alcoholism. Drug abuse, those, those things can are, seem to be more easily gotten over than a lifestyle of fornication and sexual immorality and multiple partners and adultery and marriage and things of that nature. They seem to stay with you longer. I think that's what Paul is talking here. And then in verse 19, or do you not know that your, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. This isn't the temple. What I'm, this, this building that I'm gesturing at, this is not the temple. I, I don't mean, I, I'm not saying this to be shocking. You, you'll understand the context. God doesn't necessarily dwell here. I know we call it God's house and, and there's a traditional reason why we say that. And I, and I will use that word openly and freely. And I believe it's a correct uh, inference. But now I'm pointing to you and I'm pointing to my, our bodies are the real temple. That's where Jesus really resides. More than just my heart. He is in me. I am joined to him and he to me. And he has a sovereign right to. Why? Verse 20. You were bought with a price. You're bought with a price. So you glorify God in your body. It's not something that, that, that 
you know, is only a portion of us that has to honor the Lord. It's not just honoring the Lord with my lips at a certain time of the week. It's not just me saying the right things and putting a smile on my face. You know as well as I do, half of us are liars when we walk into church on Sunday morning because we know how much of a struggle it was to put a smile on, on our face when on the inside we're falling apart and we don't know how to let it be known. We don't think there's another friend in the world. And Paul is desperate and so am I to teach them and as I'm trying to teach you. That that's one of the reasons why we call this place a sanctuary. And why worship corporately among brothers and sisters is so high on my theology chart. It's a shame when members of a church feel like they can confide in a non-believer more than they can a brother and sister in Christ. And I know where it comes from because I've been burned too. I know what it's like to have people talking about you behind your back, spill your secrets. You trusted them and they just took that trust and shredded it all apart. You see, churches are hurting today because we've lost the value of love for one another. We want, we want so bad to make sure everything in the church is the way we want it aesthetically. Uh, we, you know, we'll spend months talking about the color of the carpet and if the pastor would only do this for me. And then, well, why are the pews not as full as they ought to be? Because the talk in the business meeting at church is the same talk that the non-believers will hear the rest of the week. And I would be honest with you, and I think you'd be honest with me, we would probably agree with the non-believer, wouldn't we? If we are anything of the representation of the cross, then no thank you. If that's your Jesus, then fine and dandy. I'm fine on my own. Paul says, Corinth, you don't even belong to yourself anymore. You were bought with a price. Now, this is a term that is very specific and, it, and, it, and it's very interesting. It, it's, um, it's a reference to Christ's substitutionary vicarious atonement. And in the Greek, and what this, te- what this phrase actually means is, when one accepts Christ, he or she relinquishes every personal right to his or her body and takes on the responsibility for the corporate health and vitality of the whole temple, the whole body, and therefore is accompanied by the command... Glorify God in your body. Let me say that again. When one accepts Christ, he relinquishes personal rights to his or her body and takes on the responsibility for the corporate health and vitality of the whole temple, the whole body, and therefore is accompanied by a command. So glorify God in your body. You see, our bodies become the vehicle that expresses who we serve. Later on, and we'll be getting there later this year, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, 
why Paul wrote, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Let me say this in kind of a different way. I was born again. And one of the purposes is for me being born again is for your common good. It means that I am here to build you up and not tear you down. But we don't get it, do we? We don't get it. We're going to walk out of here today. Same, aren't we? We're not going to let this text mean anything to us, are we? It's tough. Corinthian church needed four letters. This was number two. This was the second time Paul had to write to them. But upon hearing this message, I wonder what some in that church, I wonder how they responded. I wonder how it shook some of them as they were sitting in that pew and or in that chair and, and it just they heard this letter being read. I, I wonder what it did to them. Paul said our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is a dwelling place of the Lord. He hears everything that you say. He knows everything that you're doing. You can fool other people around you. You cannot fool him. So if that is the case, maybe we ought to redefine what it means to act right in church, right? Theologically speaking, we never leave. The same behavior we would expect of one another here, it ought to be 24-7 as far as the scripture is concerned. But here's what I want you to remember. God forgives any and every abuse. If you would only confess. It's one of the reasons why I, I read the text to you this morning at the beginning of our worship. If we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful. He's faithful. That means every single time and just meaning he has the legal authority to forgive faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and they come in many forms do they not our desires can enslave us and lead us to committing and participating in sin that involves Jesus himself as us being or him being a member of us. This was a wake-up call for the church in Corinth. I believe our solution today is a fresh commitment to the Lord. A brand new commitment Surrendering our desires and how they affect the body of Christ.
I don't care and and you shouldn't either <clears throat> whether or not we're right or not. That's not why we live, although some live to just want to be right all the time. Some just want to live to <clears throat> be offended, I think. They look for the wrong. It's just as hard as they could go. They want to look for the wrong in someone else. That's not how we are to live. That's not how we have been called. We have been reminded this morning that we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. It cost God His one and only Son. That was the price. It doesn't get any more personal than that. You never sacrificed your one and only Son for me, and I haven't my one and only Son for you. And likely we never would, would we? But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that everlasting life means that we live differently. It means that we treat each other differently. It means that we remember that our redemption is from top to bottom, side to side. How are you going to live when you walk out of here? What are you going to do? I can't make that decision for you. I can't monitor your, your conversations 24-7. You don't monitor mine. But what are you going to do? Now that you've heard the truth, what are you going to do about it? Let us glorify God with our body. Let's glorify Him together. Let us love one another and choose not to be enslaved by our whimsical, sinful, fleshly desires, but give all to the Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I invite any and all this morning who have been affected in any sort of way by this sermon to come to this altar and to do business with you. I pray, Father, for conviction. I pray, Father, that you would rest upon each and every person here this morning and showing them not only their shortcomings, but the blessedness of forgiveness of what you would grant to them. And if only they ask, that's, they have to confess. That's the Scripture's equation. You will give forgiveness to anyone who confesses. But Father, if we say that we have no sin, then the truth isn't even in us. And we make you to be a liar. Lord, I don't think there's anyone here under the sound of my voice that would willingly admit to that and want to desire that. But Lord, if we just sit quietly and just pretend everything's okay, that's what we do. We make you out to be a liar. Father, I pray that 
you would just convict and move within our congregation, every person here, starting with me, that we would surrender unto you what must be given up. Our desires, no matter how noble we think they are, if they are ruling our life and not you, then we need to talk to you about it. Fathers, we end this time of preaching and we bring this service to a close. I pray, God, that everyone will take an honest account of themselves and respond accordingly. Father, your will be done during this time of response. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcboulogne.org.